Zwift has group rides for all levels. With a ride approximately every 30 minutes, you can join a group and ride that fits your schedule and your level. Group rides stay together behind a leader. They enjoy friendly banter, a relaxed vibe, a little bit of fun and some friendly racing. Just like rides in the real world, except there's no worries about a rear wheel puncher slowing the group down or being left behind. Check it out for yourself at Zwift.com today. Hola, 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 and welcome to the Zwift Cycling Central podcast for our weekly look at the Tour of Spain, La Vuelta, which each stage, I remind you, is broadcasted by us, by SBS. You can also download or stream this podcast on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash cyclingcentral, from our website, sbs.com.au slash cyclingcentral, or schedule a ride with our lovely friends at Zwift. And I'm joined in the studio today, uh, we have a full panel actually today, uh, in the studio with uh, uh, but first of all, Sophie, Sophie Smith. Hi, how are you, Sophie? Hello, I'm good, as always. Glad to have you uh, back here Thank uh, you. at SBS. And Pat Pacho, of course, you're here. Great to return after that first pod last week for me. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about uh, La Vuelta. That's what we're here for. We are recording this podcast uh, uh, after stage 12. Uh, we are well into week two. Uh, first of all, you guys, quick question, one word. Uh, what's the highlight for you, Sophie, for the week? would have to be the stage overnight. It was total anarchy on yeah. GC and within the crowd and uh, amongst police authorities. So your word is anarchy? Anarchy. Can you top this, Pat? Uh, yes, I can. It's uh, supreme, and which is what Jack Haig's development is. It's supreme. He continues to follow that pathway that we expected he would. Um, it's just great to see him fulfilling that and uh, very soon going to be contending for GC classifications. Absolutely. I cannot agree more. Uh, let's, first of all, setting the scene uh, with what happened last night. A couple of crashes for Chris Froome, a mechanical as well. Let's hear about Chris Froome just after the end of that stage. I'm doing okay, thankfully. I'm just grateful, uh, yeah, they're not more serious. I mean, yeah, of course, it's never never nice to crash, but at the end, um, I had two teammates with me. They were fantastic, Mikel Nieve, Wild Pals. They helped me all the way until the finish and uh, helped me, obviously, to, to limit the losses to the Vincenzo Nibali group. I just slipped. I lost my front wheel in a corner. Um, the same, same for the second one. Just, uh, yeah, I mean, really, really dry, slippery uh, corners, but... Uh, yeah, I just uh, I just lost my front wheel. Uh-huh, I don't like to give away time, but I mean, uh, I'm grateful it's 20 seconds, not one minute. That was Chris Froome after the end of the stage. He's still the leader. I mean, I'm putting this question to you. Two crashes yesterday, one mechanical. He still has a minute lead above Nibali. What more does he need to be taken off that lead? I don't know. I mean, it's, that's kind of down to Nibali at this stage, I think. Um for me personally, I don't know if you guys agree, Chris Froome himself seems to be stronger at the Vuelta than he was at the Tour de France. He looked a bit shaken yesterday at the end. I mean, okay, two crashes, one mechanical. He'd be superhuman <laughs> if he wasn't shaken <laughs> after that. Um, that being said, he'll probably be glad when Alberto Contador retires and he doesn't have to respond um, to that sort of... Do you mean retires of the Vuelta again? or retires of... Uh, yeah, in Iraq, general, I think, <laughs> yeah, retires. <laughs> well, he didn't um, really handle last year in the Tour de France either when the motorbike incident happened either and he had to get off his bike he ran you could see that he, he when there is issues that uh, stop the you know structured program of sky's tactics Chris Froome doesn't usually respond really well. And, um, but he stayed pretty calm yesterday about, you know, even after the first mechanical, you can see him putting the bike on the side, waiting for the new bike to come. He didn't 
start running, for example. <laughs> no, but he, ex- he expects that his riders will, his domestiques, super domestiques, because they all are, will do their job. And obviously they did. They limited that loss to 25 seconds. However, post-stage, he wasn't as, uh, as calm as what you would have thought he was during the stage. I think you're right, Sophie. His form is definitely better right now than what it was at any point during the Tour de France. Is it going to be that good week three of the Vuelta? I'm not so sure. Pat just mentioned that his team before, this was the case at the Tour as well. He had the strongest team at the Tour. I don't know if you can say the same at the Vuelta, but I guess he's got that confidence or he can have that confidence where if something does happen, typically he's got two or three guys with him who I would say are actually more than super domestic. So um, Mikhail Kokoski at the Tour this year, like it's Mikel Kukowski. <laughs> like, he's won stages of the Tour de France before. He's like, you know, you know, he doesn't really need an introduction, so he can take confidence from his team always. And up until last night, they've kind of done the same thing that they do at all Grand Tours. They they're always in control. They smother the race, and a lot of the time, and we saw it at the Tour, their rivals there race for second. <laughs> they race to keep their police on GC, not to challenge for him for the overall win. But how much of what we saw last night and, and the team bailing him out, uh, I'm not going to say constantly, but bailing him, out, bailing him out a few times like this, how much strain does that could take on the team? It's, it's a great point, and that's what I was going to bring up next, is that what cost was last night's effort? And remember that Sky has actually ridden basically the whole Vuelta on the front of the peloton. Okay, there was a couple of times that Quick Steps helped. There's obviously the day that Cannondale rode the front for the entirety of the day, which helped them recover a bit more. But that's going to come at a toll last night's effort, and maybe we see it in the next couple of days. So when you look at the the GC, Chris Froome is, is in the lead. Nibali in second. We say a minute. It's 59 seconds. I mean, a second is important, but it's close, to, close enough to the minute. How clever is Nibali in that race, do you think? This is what I think will make the race interesting now is what Nibali does because he is a champion. I think he will race for the win, not to not to be second. Being second, may, he may as well be 10th or 20th. But he had an opportunity him. yesterday and he didn't necessarily attack straight ahead. Do you think he's waiting for better days? I he think thinks so. there is a better You've got to remember we're up to stage 12 and there's still, you know, there's still a, a lot, lot of mountains. racing yeah. um, to come. And at the moment, looking at the GC for me, you know, barring serious incident, he, he's probably the only person, this is a big call, will probably be eating my words next week, <laughs> that, that can really challenge Froome, I would say. And like I said, he's not interested in minor places. It's a, it's a win or second or tenth, I think, for him. And he doesn't have to be playing the villain right at the moment. As we said, <laughs> stage 12, there's plenty of other riders and uh, actually spectators playing the villain at the moment. Do you think he's that conniving? Yes, I think he's so <laughs> smart. I really enjoy watching Nabali race because I know that he's going to make a move at some point. He'll lay it all on the line, as Sophie said. He's not racing for second. Mind you, he's not wanting to be third. I disagree that he'd be happy to be 10th or 20th. <laughs> yeah. But he definitely wants to win, and he'd love to beat Froome. Of all these uh, rivals, Froome is the one that he would love to beat because everyone will talk about it. But he doesn't also, his team doesn't have to do anything right now either. The onus isn't on them. So in terms of the effort, the, the Bahrain team is probably saving energy compared to what the Sky team is probably putting it out to defend that red jersey. Yeah, I mean, Sky always races sort of in a, in a very controlled way or in a defensive manner once, once they're in the, in the lead. And I don't know, what you, I wouldn't expel everything now when you could play it a, a bit more smartly. And Nibali is a very, uh, what's the word, intelligent bike rider, I guess you could say. Okay. His skills, you know, he's a great descender. Um, he doesn't have to put everything on the front and go full gas. I don't think that's his style. Okay. Uh, Alberto Contador, 
his home, that's his last Vuelta. He's currently nine uh, or ninth on the, the GC. He's three minutes and a bit uh, behind uh, the leader. Um, what do we make of his behavior yesterday? Because he, he, he attacked at a very crucial time. Was that wise or is it being that villain? He doesn't care. It's his last <laughs> race. He can be as villain as he wants. But the He's point, home as well. The <laughs> most important factor is is that he was written off by all accounts after his first dismal attempt on the mountain stage. He lost several minutes. Everyone even said his top 10 chances are over. Well, guess what? He's a minute off the podium, and uh, he will. I'll tell you now, he will finish on the podium at the finish of the Vuelta. And uh, he will also cause a lot of headaches for Chris Froome because he will continue to attack and they will have to continue to chase him because they don't want to take a risk. He's done it before. When he won the Vuelta, we all remember that uh, Rodriguez and Valverde were back in the bunch and they thought, we'll bring him back when we're ready. He never came back. He went on to win the Vuelta and he, he, and he could do it again. So Sky is definitely seeing Contador as a danger for the, for the overall GC. You wouldn't let him go, I don't think. Is that because of a habit or do they really see a danger this year? For me, I'm not so convinced that Contador will finish on the podium. And I'm, I'm taking bets right away here. That so. would be. <laughs> <laughs> that would, you know, he'd certainly be aiming for that. Like you said, he want, you'd want to go out on a high, particularly at your home race. And he's riding well. I don't think we've sort of seen him. He's, last night particularly, he was back in his element for me. Personally, it'd be one of those things. I don't know if he's Chris Froome's like chief concern for him at no point in the lead up to this tour or, or during it as specifically named um, Contador. But that being said, he's the type of rider where you wouldn't want to give him too much because if something does happen on the road that no one can control, it can change things very quickly. Yeah, so talking about very quickly, actually jumping on this, there's been an hour in that racing yesterday that just went completely ballistic. We had motorbike crashes. We had someone pushing a rider. Uh, we had those crashes from, from, we had a mechanical. How much more craziness can we have in this race? It's a very open-ended question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if by you can answer by, that by, one. By experience. Welcome to the Welter, uh, Christoph. Yeah. Uh, like we, we, we've spoken before, um, you know, it's not as well documented as the Tour de France. And if this was happening at the Tour de France, every paper and, and every media would be blowing up. Uh, mind you, it's more of a discussion when it's in, in Spain because it seems more uh, realistic that it can occur and people accept it. Um, unfortunately, these things did happen. Um, it, did, it does turn out that it's, it seems that uh, the spectator that pushed Belkov has uh, Down syndrome and um, he just wanted to assist Belkov like he'd seen others do previously. It didn't really work out that, well, that way. But um, the controversy will continue and uh, particularly in the bunch. I think there's going to be a bit of retaliation to the Contador scenario yesterday. But, um, but the controversy con- about the, the motorbike and well, the policeman. Yeah, Contador passes and then it seemingly looks like the policeman pushes the spectator and then the motorbike strikes the spectator, which also was a, a, a hindrance to the group chasing from behind. So, you know, what, what's the link there? Is there the Spanish police? They're trying to help Contador. I suppose there's a lot of different um, uh, Very opinions. Very loose definition of assistance uh, across, <laughs> across all events. You really night. want to have Contador on the podium. This is the, this is the theory you're laying here. <laughs> well, the, no. Well, I've got statistics to back it up. Have a look at your other riders in the top 10. There's a 40-kilometre time trial. And also have a look at the form line of these riders. Contador's the only rider except for Nibali that's form is increasing and getting better. Who's the other challenger? Maybe Lopez or... Well, he's back far as well. So, you know, I don't see Chavez on the podium at the end of Vuelta. Uh, Who else is in that top 10 that can time trial well enough to to put themselves on there? And uh, Contador's going to time trial well. How do we rate Chavez actually on this week? Because last week he was was doing okay last week, but this week he had a pretty tough time when you look at it now. He's had a pretty tough... 
season and you know Froome labeled him as a as a favorite going in but Neil Stevens said this at the beginning of the race that you know Chavez is in his late 20s is sort of coming into I guess you know you could say the peak of his career but I would still describe him as a burgeoning climber a burgeoning grand tour contender and if you look at his season he's had a rough season and Stevens did say like all three of their leaders being Adam and Simon Yates as well had plus qualities that could maybe put them on the podium but also had a lot of doubt around them they've all had mixed seasons and particularly Chavez I think he was like sidelined for four don't quote me on this but like four months at the beginning of the season I thought it was odd actually that Orica Scott put him in the Tour de France based on the lack of preparation or racing that he had so I'm not entirely sure what their incentive in putting him in the Vuelta was I guess if you've got the legs after the Tour it's always a gamble some people do better in the second Grand Tour of the season after their first and and some don't and you've got to look at the field here as well you are as, as Pat touched on just before you know Froome, Nibali, Contador these guys are experienced winners not just bike riders. Yeah and the thing is is that Chavez probably wouldn't be talking this type of way but the weather came in Spain he, and I reckon that is what his issue was he didn't handle that heavy downfall of rain he probably got cold. Orica laid it on the line but he was actually the one that, that lost out the most out of the GC guys. And by laying on the line as well, they took out Adam Yates out of any kind of contention for a general classification now. So um, Adam Yates came out about four days ago and said, look, it's all for Chavez. Then they laid it on the line. Chavez lost time. They'll still try to defend that uh, podium for him. But, yeah, I think it's actually all untwining and... Um and heading towards that prediction of Contador on the podium. <laughs> this is where experience pays off, I guess, is riders like Contador, as Pat just said, get better. Some get better during a Grand Tour. Mm-hmm. And he's one of them where if you look at the GC now compared to even a few days ago, you know, TJ Van Garder and slipped, Nicholas Roche's slip. I think Roche overnight said Contador gave him a wink before he attacked and former teammates and Roche just That's said... That's cool, he, isn't it? You know, he, he, had the, he had the, okay, let's go. He was prepared, but just couldn't he just, just said couldn't. he couldn't match contador speed one last thing to mention uh what on earth has happened to aqua blue i mean how much more how much more crazy can this be <laughs> stop asking me so. <laughs> I, don't <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I, just and I, I would not be willing to put that on the line <laughs> i'm pushing you sophie yeah like <laughs> burnt out buses fans assisting riders by flat out pushing them over the barricade. No, how, how much does that really imp- how much does that impact a team like aqua blue Oh, it'd certainly shake you. And, you know, they've got a replacement bus, but cycling coaches are especially equipped to deal, you know, to cater for their everyday needs. And Pat's been in a bus before, so I guess you'd be more rehearsed in that question. For Aqua Blue, they're here for opportunities. You know, this is actually a good publicity. You know, this is a great publicity. It also spurs the riders on. You know, the riders yesterday were quick to get on Twitter and say, look, we're ready to dominate the stage. Okay, probably not the ideal stage for Aqua Blue, but they still represent it in the daily move. And I think that, you know, we've spoken about them before. Last week we spoke. They're really inspiring. Uh, They are the underdogs, but they want to impress so they can get a spot next year in the Vuelta. And they're also pursuing really fast rider. They want a world-class sprinter for next year um, all these things sort of accumulate and as they're building more support you know it's not the way you want to get support but fans are jumping on them like uh, there's nothing else and it's a really positive thing to come out of like the support for them versus what's happening the demise of uh, Cannondale you know there's very two contrasting uh, situations in cycling you're, you're rating very high into a conspiracy theory absolutely yeah. <laughs> it was a very cunning businessman that just came out of Pat Shaw's <laughs> tip my hand Absolutely. Uh, Okay, we'll take a short break and we'll talk about the World Championships coming up uh, with Martin Barras. That's just straight after this.
Zwift is an indoor cycling platform where you can connect with a global community of cyclists at any time. You can chat with people all over the world, share in group rides, get encouragement from total strangers right on, who quickly become your new riding buddies and train harder and faster with competition on a global scale. Check out Zwift for yourself at Zwift.com today. And uh, now in the uh, Cycling Central uh, podcast, I'm joined on the line with Martin Barras. Hi, Martin. All the way from Italy, I think. Well, that's right. We're uh, at our base at the European Training Center in, uh, of the Australian Institute of Sport in Gavida, getting ready for training, as a matter of fact. Uh, so talk to us about uh, the atmosphere today in, in the Australian camp. Uh, the World Championships are coming up. You're in charge. I should, I should uh, for people that don't know you, you're in charge of, uh, of the training that is happening uh, currently for the Australian team and the Australian women. What's happening these days? How, how is the feeling uh, going towards the, the, the World Championship? Well, the, the World Championships is the highlight of the season uh, year after year. And, you know, for us, it's uh, one of the most important markers that we have leading uh, into the Olympics. Uh, into the Olympics uh, as part of the four-year cycle. So we've done our recon in uh, Bergen, beautiful place, by the way, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we're very much in a process of just fine-tuning the final preparation. I mean, we had a fair bit of information beforehand, but there's nothing like uh, seeing the grounds on which you're going to compete. We've done that. And we're very much about fine-tuning uh, the World Championships now. Uh, in terms of the, the, the season, you said it's the highlight of the season. So leading, leading towards this championship, uh, we are at crunch time for, for the girls, yeah? Well, uh, the vast majority of the preparation has been done. Uh, you know, it, it's very much about the, you know, the little things. Like we know more about the, some of the technical aspects of the course that we need to uh, fine-tune. It's one thing to see courses on videos and uh, get a, you know, Uh, GPS data to uh, give us an idea of how the climbs actually are, but we've seen that. We've actually changed our tactical approach uh, a little bit, uh, but they're the sort of things that uh, we work on. By, by and large, the whole of the physical preparation uh, is done. It was planned in November. Uh, everything has been put in place, and, uh, and we're very much just, uh, it's like the icing on the cake, really, at this point in time. That's a, that's a nice way to put it. Uh, how much do you work with, uh, with the boys? How much do, do the girls work with the boys in, in, in sharing their experience and sharing how they will approach this, uh, this, this, whole, this whole season of the World Championships? Yeah, because the racing is, uh, we race on different circuits. So in terms of racing or training, we, we do next to nothing with the boys. It's uh, more in terms of the planning, sharing of information about the course. So the information we gathered for, uh, for the recon is uh, shared between both teams. Um, and the logistics for the World Championships. But other than that, really, we operate uh, separately. We very rarely come across uh, one another here because they work on a completely different racing schedule than we do. So when we're here, they tend to be on the road and vice versa. Okay. And uh, because Zwift is our sponsor, uh, how much, do you, how much do, you, do you know the girls using uh, the new technologies? You mentioned the GPS data. You mentioned all this. Uh, does that today, compared to maybe what it was five, ten years ago, does that change the way you approach an event like the, the World Championship? Uh, Uh, yeah, very much so. Uh, you know, five or ten years ago, we had uh, we had good guesses in terms of uh, what the performance requirements were going to be, and if we wanted to have something a bit more specific or more precise, uh, we had to go spend a lot of time on the course measure. And, and when I talk about measuring, we're, we're talking about physiological measurement with the with the riders as we train on those courses. In this day and age, we can pretty much bypass all of that. It's not that we don't do it anymore. We just don't do nearly as much of it. So for, for that matter, before we showed up in Bergen two weeks ago, 
we had done uh, to, to, to the sort of technology, all of the preparation in terms of the performance requirement, because we're able to modelize everything now. So, you know, we knew the duration of uh, the climbs, the, which level of intensity that required, uh, you, you know, all, all sorts of stuff like a vertical ascension uh, speed and, and those kind of things. So it allows us to specify very, very early in a piece and direct very, very early in, uh, in a piece uh, how we're going to go about uh, training and racing the championships. Okay, and I know you're very, very uh, uh, pressed for time. So one last question: uh, Where are sure. the, the 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 real objective for the for the Australian team? Uh, in the time trial, we have a contender for the win, and uh, Catherine Garfield. She finished third at the World Championships last year. She was third at the Commonwealth Games uh, three years ago. Uh, and she's uh, the main contender for the Commonwealth Games next year. So, although she had some uh, some health problems earlier in the season, she's been able to uh, to get over that. And for the last two months, her the whole of her preparation has been centered exclusively. She sort of uh, reworked the whole of her racing preparation to focus exclusively on a World Championship. So, we feel very very comfortable that we have. Uh, not only a medal contender, but a possible winner of the the race there. Uh, on the road, in the road race, it's going to be a bit more complicated. The the course lends itself a bit less than, uh, let's say, last year's course or the year before in uh, Richmond. Uh, but racing is problem solving. So uh, in Garfoot, Amanda Spratt in particular, and Shara Gillow, uh, we have riders that we expect uh, can be can, can be serious contenders. In the final of uh, of the road race, and then obviously uh, it, it's a matter of playing. Uh, you know, it, it's a chess game as well too. So we just have to make sure that we play our uh, that, that that we play our pawns really really well. So that's going to be a very important uh, aspect for us because uh, in terms of sheer strength, we're probably going to be a bit behind some of the bigger stronger teams like uh, the Dutchies. So we have we have to apply ourselves very much. Uh, in terms of having a good tactical execution uh, as far as road race is concerned. Okay, but wish you all the best of luck and thank you for your time. I know you're extremely pressed for time, so thank you, Martin. No, that's okay. Thank you very much and uh, looking forward to a great performance in Bergen. We wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you. Zwift has group rides for all levels. With a ride approximately every 30 minutes, you can join a group and ride that fits your schedule and your level. Group rides stay together behind a leader. They enjoy friendly banter, a relaxed vibe, a little bit of fun and some friendly racing. Just like rides in the real world, except there's no worries about a rear wheel puncher slowing the group down or being left behind. Check it out for yourself at Zwift.com today. Uh, welcome back to the uh, Zwift uh, Vuelta Cycling Central podcast. Uh, let's talk now about, uh, about this interview with Martin Barras. Uh, what do we make of uh, what you just said about uh, how ready the girls are? Pat, uh, what's, your, what's your view on this? I uh, don't agree with the names that he listed, that's for sure. I, I really think Sarah Roy deserves her opportunity to A, represent her country and also be their secondary option. If the race is a, a bigger group that comes to the finish, I think she could be a chance. And Gracie Alvin is the one that stands out for me that you'd probably take as your number one option. I think the, the course is probably a lot harder than people realise and the weather conditions are also going to play a critical part in these championships. So it may be a surprise type of rider that actually produces the winning result at these championships and I think that he's underselling the, the strength of a potential Australian outfit if they were to take a full lineup. I'm actually going to come at this from a different perspective because I interviewed... I like um, that. That's what, you, that's, what, that's what you hear. I <laughs> <laughs> To be a bit more cunning now exactly. because I went for the emotional <laughs> angle on Aqua and Pat's kind of gone in with the ruthless businessman. So emotions on the, you know, outside. Um, I interviewed Simon Jones, who's the new Cycling Australia head of performance earlier this week, the 
story will be on the Cycling Centre website later. He's, I mean, he's been at the West Australian Institute of Sport for a long time, so he's probably a bit more Australian than he is British now. Having said that, he worked at British Cycling for a long time and at Team Sky. And when you ask him forthright question, he will give you, refreshingly, a very forthright answer. And I think with these world championships, you have to look in a broader sense that Cycling Australia has had a massive shake-up um, in terms of staff, people coming in, people coming out. They've got a new head of performance in Simon who is subtly but also surely and slowly making his own imprint on the group. Shane Sutton did the same thing when he took over British Cycling a few years ago. He actually brought in pretty much an entire new team. But Simon was very forthright when it came to World Championship selection. He went so far as to say that there was no, in terms of the women's road race, there's no clear winner on that course. He's openly said we don't. he doesn't think that Australia has a winner. It'll be down to maybe the Dutch team. But Simon's been clear in that he's had a proper look at the course and he doesn't think Australia has a clear contender on that. So he says they're going in with a bit of a gamble. And interestingly, he's also said that Australia might not meet its full quotas um, in the women's or in the men's road race teams. He has a theory that and this for me was very much sort of a Team Sky British cycling sort of perspective. Um, that if you've got a clear winner on a course, you don't necessarily need eight riders or four riders to back them up. And to be fair, he's got a point there. Like Peter Sagan, <laughs> the Slovakian national team, I want to say had maybe three people mm-hmm. last year, two people. Um, so it's a valid point. And in the men's road race, I know they've got Michael Matthews is, is their main man. So uh, If you look at the men, they are all focusing on getting the, the jersey to Matthews. Uh, in the men's team, yes. And I asked him if they had a plan B. And his answer was no, and partly to avoid disharmony in the group. We saw at the World Championships last year, there was a very... Why are you saying there's disharmony, is there? Oh, no, like in terms of being on the road. He's, <laughs> He's good. good. <laughs> Next week, man, I'm coming, in, <laughs> coming and flexing. Let's be honest, they're never running with a plan B. Michael Matthews is their number one rider. He dealt with the issues with him and Gerrans together at Orica, and it's just it didn't work, right? So he moved on. That's all fine. He's gone on win the green jersey. They've shown some web have shown if you put the faith in one particular rider, you can achieve magical things. They've done it with Dumoulin at the Giro d'Italia. And so they'll go to these worlds, and I believe that they will do exactly that and support him. And if you're a rider that's not going to support Michael Matthews, well, A, Cycling Australia doesn't want you to be going there because you're not going to achieve the full result, and neither do the supporters of cycling watching the TVs at home. So um, Australian public love Michael Matthews. He is our best chance to win there in multiple facets as well. So if a decent group gets to the finish, he's still quick enough, but he could still combat uh, the the attacks of uh, Sagan or or, um, or, or the the Belgian, uh, which will be a strong team, which will have several favourites as well um, on that course. So it'll be all out for Matthews, and it's the right thing to do. Uh, bugger this trying to make people happy all the time because it doesn't work. Cadell Evans had to nearly win the World Championships on his own to, to, to set history straight. Uh, Michael Matthews will have support and, and should have a great opportunity. And Simon's point was that to avoid that disharmony that may or may not have dramatically affected the (laughs) result, um, that was part of the motivation. Apart from the fact that Matthews has had a obviously exceptional season, that was the other the point of it. Um, And outside of that, it's looking at selecting riders that can can back Matthews Mm -hmm. on the road, and I guess 
subscribing to that team line of this is our outright leader and if you don't like it, bad luck, which is what Sky does very successfully at Grand Tours. What pool they've got to choose from, I don't know. Simon's theory was, you know, we, we may not take a nine-man team. Yeah, quality over quantity, effectively. Yeah. But if you look at who they've got to choose from, Australia's in a bit of trouble in terms of, you know, there's a lot of injured riders, there's a lot of guys that are tired, um, there's a lot of guys that might not subscribe to that theory. So be interested to seeing what pool effectively they're selecting from. Might be some very good riders that are willing to lay everything on the line that might be, you know, unsuspected, you know. Will Clark might actually be one that's worthwhile taking. He's got everything on the line. If Cannondale does uh, fall over... He may be looking for that opportunity where he can do a huge ride at the World Championships. And look, you know, that's a speculative comment. Mm -hmm. You know, I I wouldn't assume that he would be part of the squad. But he is an option. And he's a guy that has the ability to ride on the front of the peloton for a long period of time and and would do the job. And I think there's actually several of those types of riders that could be handy for them. So, you know, maybe the pool is small because the pool that's considered is is not of those types of riders. That's what I was trying to get yeah. out see. Yeah. I'm not even going to count how many I think the guys you meet traditionally have or in recent yeah. times seen at the Worlds like Henri Kausler he's he's out you know he's been out most of the season Richie Port out or well, there's a fight as to whether he'll come back from from injury Simon Gerrans I don't know he has he's sort of been low key I'm but not sure like if he's got Nathan a contract Haas. for next year Nathan Haas maybe that's why I think I think Pat's right in that we will see uh less traditional mm-hmm. people supporting Matthews over faces that may have, you know, that are sort of common at world championships. It's going to be very exciting. That's uh, that's what, sure. Uh, I mean, I can't wait for this uh, podcast we're going to have about, I'm going to save everything, by the way. <laughs> and make sure. I like that you've not really weighed in on today at all. No. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, noted. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm impressed. I don't know. Maybe I'm impressed by the quality of the people I, I in the room. I think you're sitting on the fence. <laughs> I'm Weak. blushing, so... <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> you actually are. <laughs> <laughs> Christoph's got a very nice shade red. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Kenendel because you mentioned uh, the, the team folding. Um, I mean, this is drama in the world of cycling. Kenendel Dropak may not be here next year. I mean, how much do we believe they can? Or they cannot do it, you guys? Pat's looking at me, but you go first. Well, so- Sophie's always making me go first because now <laughs> she's worried about the counter. Look, we, even if they don't uh, exist at World Tour, there's no question they may not exist at a pro-continental level. We really don't know how it's all going to play out. Well, Sophie may know a little bit more than us, but mm-hmm. how it plays out, I can't see it all turning around from here. I really hope it does because there's so many Australians involved in this setup as well, and it was a pathway that was also created through, obviously, the Pat's Veg process and it's it's all falling apart uh it's not ideal for cycling in any case but it's also not ideal because there are not a lot of spots left in other world tour teams uh very few actually uh and the likelihood of riders finding uh world tour positions is very low uh particularly with riders obviously um uh, Rigoberto Oran, he'll find a team uh, rumoured to be Astana, if not Canada. And uh, secondarily to that, you've got Seb Van Mark, who's also got a contract at Canada next year. He would find a team fairly easily. Taylor but, Finney as well. Well, yeah, and Taylor Finney, I'm not so sure that he's all that sought after. There's there's a whole list of great riders. Joe Dombrovsky's there. Um, our own Brendan Canty has a contract with uh, Canada in 2018. Simon Clark, who has had a huge influence in, in as far as I'm concerned, in the success in the back end of this year. He uh, was given that road captain role and since that occurred there's definitely been great movement in their results um, and seemingly great camaraderie in their team. Unfortunately 
That means nothing if the team doesn't exist. I spoke with a Canada Jeffax spokeswoman um, back and forth this week, and I think the dynamic is changing so much that they're not really saying much on the record at the moment because in 24 hours' time, obviously they're they're going all out trying to fix its situation. Yeah, we've tried actually to, to talk to them and then we were pretty unsuccessful. To yes, any hopefully, comments. but I, <laughs> I think that's because it, it, it's that, that sort of turbulent or volatile at the moment. Um, I mean, to go to crowd crowdsource funding for me is that, that screams kind of how desperate they are. Could it be a way to uh, maybe just communicate even better to go, look, we, we, we are not dead. We need your help. We need you to be engaged. Yeah, They're it's, not really it's, ch- f- fishing for s- for this seven million dollars through crowdfunding. But if they can get a million or two, uh, then that's already a million or two not to get somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But it's also raising awareness. They've got yeah. two million through their yeah. um, fairly group, but I think well only matched. So uh, yeah. they'll only match what is raised. So if they only raise a million, the fairly group only give a million. Mm-hmm. But I think they've sort of said that it's all about creating this awareness that you're speaking of. And if you have a look at it, their, their, their reach has expanded you know, exponentially since the issue arose. Potentially, that is what saves them. It'll still be a big sponsor. If they can't get a big sponsor, crowdsource funding is not going to, to, to get them back on the road. It's putting um, a weak Band-Aid. Yeah. If they get $7 million, which I put it, I highly doubt... They will. You can, you know, you can have all the fans in the world that chip in a little bit. <laughs> Seven million dollars in. When do you have to put your license in? So, so I want to say September, October. I think they've it might got two weeks. They've got, they've got two weeks to to get the guarantee, and uh, there are also rumours that the issues are, are a lot worse because maybe a, a bike manufacturer is looking elsewhere also. And you I don't. Mean, you have to look at. I mean, Jonathan Borders. I like Jonathan Borders. He's been in cycling a long time. It's, it's not the first time it's happened to him. It may not be the last. I mean even quick step this year Patrick Lefebvre like he clogged up the transfer market because even at the Tour de France he was looking for a to get another sponsor so he could fulfill some of his rider contracts this is this is big and to come as Pat said so late in the season your big names might be okay but then again they might also have to take pay cuts if Pierre Alone definitely will because mm-hmm. most of the teams by now have yes the official transfer window opens in August but most deals are well and truly Science sealed and delivered at the tour, yeah. if not before. I, mean, I was looking the other um, when this all came about about uh, successes on the uh, crowdfunding. I mean, if a stupid paper plane drone thing can raise ten million dollars mm. on Kickstarter, why <laughs> can't drop back Cannondale do that as well? But again, it's not a sustainable business model, is it? I it's know, putting I, it's putting a plastic a band-aid advocate. on a wood. Um, okay, we did actually put uh, that, that question on Twitter, and then fifty-eight uh, percent of the public that follow us think uh, Canada can do it this year or be there next year. Um, so there's still some hope in the, the general public. It could be there, but I don't think it's not going to be through crowd, crowdsource funding. Okay, maybe they need to make a paper plane. <laughs> a drone paper plane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have any other big uh, thing that you are looking ahead for the, the, the whole of next week in the world of cycling? Stepping away from something we haven't spoken about yet is the Tour of Britain starts. I remember my first Tour of Britain, I think it was in 2012, and it rained the entire time. I just moved to the UK. I don't think I've ever been as miserable at that race, um, but Mick Bennett <laughs> always puts on always puts on a good show. And there's a few notable starting Mark Cavendish is coming back um, from injury. Uh, F- Fernando Gaveria, I always pronounce his surname wrong. He's going to be the star sprinter for Quick Step next year, um, without Marcel Kittle sort of taking priority there. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. And for everyone that didn't do the Vuelta, the Tour of Britain is sort of the last prep for World Championships. So it's always good to 
watch that and get an idea of where guys are at. Great okay. opportunity for Brenton Jones before he uh, steps out of JLT Condor. Uh, it's been a great choice by him and the team to to get him on board this year. It's given him the opportunities to, to go to that next level. So hopefully he, he gets some success there, as particularly against Mark Cavendish. It would be a great uh, sort of post for him because it is his last race of the season. But also uh, Jai Hindley and Michael Storer being signed up by uh, Tim Sumweb who we know develop riders incredibly. He joins, obviously, uh, Chris Hamilton and Michael Matthews there as well and uh, starting to become a bit of our second uh, Australian team. So that's fantastic. They're both brilliant talents. Uh, we now just wait for Lucas Hamilton. Does he go to Orica Scott or does BMC bounce back after not signing Sivakov and sign uh, Lucas Hamilton? On that note of signings and people developing riders quickly, completely unrelated to the Tour of Britain or the World Tour, um, all the World Championships even, but uh, Team Sky made um, two very handy signings um, earlier this week or yep. last week, and I think it's interesting tapping on what Pat said about Sunweb developing riders. I agree, they are, they are exceptional. They have that down pat. Um, but it's interesting in the two selections Sky have made. I think they're Three, pre- in fact, because they also signed the current World Under-23 champion. Yes. Uh, yeah, they've made some very smart signings and I th- think they're looking forward, speaking about sponsorship, you know, that might be an indication that they have that secured for after 2020. I think they're looking at now their post-Froome era, mm-hmm. maybe not developing them. Um, I mean, you've got guys like Garrett Thomas, you know, who are still sort of putting their hand up for Grand Tour contention. But I think with those signings, you could probably safely say they're looking... Ford skipping a generation after Froome and, and building their, their next stock of Grand Tour dominators. Oh, yeah. I really want to agree with you, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they're going to spit them out again. I think they're going to. I, don't, I think it's terrible. I think it's terrible for Sivakov. I think it's uh, terrible. He's uh, done so well at the Tour de l'Avenir. Yeah, and, uh, and um, I haven't seen uh, Sky develop a young talent in so long um, because they all get to their contract renewal. They get offered this ridiculously low-balled contract because they have all they've done is uh, sacrifice themselves domestically or even if they have had an ch- opportunity. Um, and so I think we'll see these riders do very well, but it will be at another team, as it's as we've seen in the past. And uh, I much prefer the signings. And it's fantastic to see the Australians go to better outfits. Like Orica have developed Jack Haig extremely well, and I think the team somewhere uh, will develop uh, Jai Hindley and, and Michael Storer really well as well. So I, I'm not so sure. A questionable situation at Team Sky. Do you know there's one guy we need to talk to in the next few weeks is Haig? We need, we need to have a chat with him. Yeah, we should get him on, uh, definitely, and um, particularly after his strong Vuelta Abs- performance. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, uh, Sophie, Pat, it's been a pleasure to have you uh, in the podcast. Uh, it's going to be a fun year, and I'll try to bring more opinion next week, I promise. And less head cold as well. That's probably why. <laughs> that's my I excuse. haven't worked in my French, so, you know, that's with fine. One all. Next okay. week it is. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. Cheers. Thank you. And this is it for the Zwift Cycling Central podcast for another week. Let me remind you that you can uh, stream or download our podcast from SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash cyclingcentral, from our website, sbs.com.au slash cyclingcentral, or hit our lovely friend at Zwift and schedule a ride. I guess all it's left for me is to say adios, see you next time, and bye for now. <laughs>